Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Woo is not the answer. I am blessed is the answer. How are you doing, guys? Oh, so things are going well for you, huh? I didn't say that because we're blessed no matter what's going on in our lives these days. I'm so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, please make yourself at home. We're going to treat you so many ways you're bound to like one of them. Just plan to make this your home. We're glad you're here today. We're in a series that we're simply calling I Am Blessed, and we're talking about that concept from the Beatitudes, kind of working our way through the Beatitudes this summer and learning a little bit more about what does that mean to be. It's just, I am blessed because I'm poor in spirit. I'm blessed because I mourn. I'm blessed because I am meek, and we're kind of working our way through all of that. Just four general observations. I'll make them again just to get our wheels turning, and for those of you that are new, to kind of bring you up to speed. First of all, uh, observation number one is the Beatitudes are really counterintuitive. It, it feels weird to say, I'm blessed because I'm poor. I'm blessed because I'm sad. I'm blessed because I'm weak or meek or whatever that, that word means, and you'll have to get the messages to dig into the detail of that. But, but it's just the exact opposite. In, in, the, in the faith and the following of Jesus Christ, the truth is the way up is down. And, and is it, it is in understanding that that we finally find the blessed life we've been looking for. The second observation is that the reason it's counterintuitive because it, it goes deeper than circumstances. That word blessed in the Greek in the original manuscript was the word makarios that carries with it the idea of being supremely fortunate and favored by God. And we are fortunate and favored by God regardless of what's going on in our lives, quite frankly, because of what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, after he gave what he gave on Calvary, what else does he actually need to do for us for us to love him back? I mean, how far has he got to go? What has he got to do? Every minute, every 15 minutes? What, what does he have to do? And so we are blessed people because of what Jesus did, which leads us to the third general observation, and that is that, that what we're talking about in the Beatitudes, are these, these are actually the character traits of Jesus. In each case, Jesus is the prime example of what this character trait looks like. So the journey to, to the blessed life is not work hard to be poor in spirit or try hard to mourn. or it, It's not about that. It's about becoming more like Jesus. As you become more like him, as you develop his character traits in your life, the blessed life just naturally flows from that. It's about getting to know him. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. And what will happen? He will give you the desires of your heart. Many, most of you know that Kim and I were missionaries to the Philippines through the 80s. And what, but what you may not know is when we first got in country, Kim was a homegirl, one of six kids, very close-knit families, and it was incredibly difficult for her to fly to the other side of the planet and be away from family for the first time. We were kids, and we were both in our 20s, had two young children when we went, and, and so it was incredibly difficult. In fact, she says in public testimony, I cried for the first six months. And she would pray, God, you've got to figure out a way for me to get me home. She would imagine in her mind ways to get back home until she found this verse of Scripture one day, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And she said, aha, I got him. I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to get serious about my relationship with Jesus and he'll have no choice but to send me home because he said he'd give me the desires of my heart if I would get close to him. And anybody want to guess what happened in the next six months? She got incredibly intimate with Jesus and he changed the desires of her heart so that by the time it was time to come back to the States, she was saying, are you sure we have to leave? I mean, are you sure we're supposed to go back yet now? Because God changed the desires of her heart as she got to know him. The fourth 
observation is that I believe the Beatitudes are in order. And so we've been unpacking that week by week. Let's get into today's Beatitude, and maybe we'll come back to that before the morning is over. Today we're looking at verse 6 of Matthew 5. You can flip in your own Bible. You can go to the Bridge NC app and go to notes, and all of the notes are there, and the, and the outline and the scriptures are there. will be on the screens. Uh, go to your smartphone. We won't accuse you of texting in church if you get your smartphone out. It's got a Bible app on it. It'll be fine. But let's follow the scriptures together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be... What's the word? Filled. Those of you here last week know that we looked at that word filled in a lot more detail from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18. And we came to, to, uh, to realize that that word filled is the Greek word pleuroo that has to do with empowerment. Uh, there's a, there's a, a passage from Acts 4 where it says the religious leaders of the day got angry and they were filled with rage. They were pleuroo with rage. So it had to do with well, what was the driving force in their lives. And so last week we talked about the idea of being filled with the Spirit in the sense that the Holy Spirit is the empowering agent in your life. He's, he's in charge of your life. He's not just present. He's president of your life. Today this word filled is a different word. I love the Greek language. I don't know a great deal about it, but I love to look it up because there's so much richness in it. And in this case, the word filled is the Greek word kortazo. I murdered that word. You see, if you say it fast, you don't know if I murdered it or not. But anyway, uh, and it means satisfied. It's still the idea of being filled, but now it's not just filled up to the point that it's, that, that it's overflowing and filling you up and controlling things and empowering things, but now we're talking about satisfaction. We're talking about filled to the point of satisfaction. So let's just be honest, okay? Everybody gets hungry and thirsty. Can I get an amen in the house? Some of you are hungry right now. You're already wondering how long I'm going to preach because you want to get to brunch before the Baptists get to the restaurant. I know that's just how it works. Okay. The problem is that many times we don't realize what we're hungry for. And so we wind up saying things like, I'm bored. Ask anybody that works in the nutrition field or diet fields, and they'll tell you that a huge percentage of eating has nothing to do with being hungry. It has to do with being bored. So we're boredom eating. We're emotion eating rather than actually satisfying something. We say, I'm restless. Or we say, you know, there must be more to life than this. I mean, even when things are going well, you'll hear people say, there, there's just something missing. I don't know, there's something missing. In fact, I came to the conclusion a few years ago that the theme song of my generation, I'm a baby boomer, the theme song of my generation was Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. You know that one? I can't get no, come on, satisfaction. Is that true? I mean, stupid as that looked, is it true? <laughs> That's just, it became the theme song of our generation. No matter what we try, I can't get no satisfaction. You ever felt that way? Let me, let me ask you a different way. You ever go stand in front of the refrigerator with the door open and say, what do I want, what do I want, what do I want? And afterwards, you eat something and you're full, but you're not satisfied. That wasn't it. You ever worked hard for a promotion at work and got it and then found out that all it really means is you got a little more money that gets spent. Now you're working harder and longer hours and you're away from the things you care about more. You ever bought into when-then thinking, you know, when I get that, then I'll finally be happy and then you get it and you find out now you got to maintain it. 
That's, that's the story of our lives quite often. I recently read the, uh, that, that the average grocery store in America has over 100,000 items in it, twice what they had 10 years ago. Would you say that people are twice as satisfied today as they used to be? I wouldn't. So the question becomes, where do you go for satisfaction? This, this idea of, of being filled in the sense of being satisfied, where do you go? Where can Mick Jagger go to be satisfied finally? I believe the answer to that question has three parts to it. And if you'll bear with me, we'll just take a few minutes and we'll unpack those three simple uh, parts to that question. I think that maybe we'll uh, find some satisfaction if we'll lean into the truth of God's Word in the process. Simple answers to a profound question. Answer part number one is you got to realize your real hunger. If you really want to be satisfied, you got to figure out what it is that you're really hungry for. You, you guys ever play the game that Kim and I play? We finally decide, we don't do this very often, but when we finally decide we want to go out for dinner, we, we get dressed, we get ready, we figure out what time we're going, we get in the car, and we pull out of the driveway, and one of us says, where are we going? I don't know where you want to go. I don't know where you want to go. Well, where do you not want to go? I've just been going to this whole journey of trying to figure this thing out. Guys, if you want to be satisfied, you've got to figure out what you're hungry for. And I can tell you now, the possessions will not get you there. Position will not get you there. Popularity will not get you there. They're not going to do it. I know that because God created us in his image, and God is a spiritual being, which means that we are spiritual beings. And because we're spiritual beings, uh, we connect with him. But he created a void in our lives, a space that is God-shaped. And the only way you get satisfied is if you fill that void. Yeah, there's room for possessions. Nothing wrong with having stuff. It's fine to get positions to advance in your career. By all means, advance in your career. There's nothing wrong with, with being popular, having people like you. I like it when people like me. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but those things will fill different parts of your life. They will never ultimately fill the void that is God-shaped. It's the spiritual void. And only spiritual things can fill the spiritual void. Does that make sense? So there's always going to be this nagging kind of something's missing until you understand who God is and, and, and that he is the only one that will fill that void. And I need to be clear with you about this thing. God made you not only in his image, but he made you to be in relationship with you and he wants to be in relationship with you so much. He'll do whatever it takes for you to understand that spiritual void and look to him to fill it. I mean, look what Moses told Israel that God did to remind them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you. Why did he do that? He did it to teach you that people need more than bread for their life. Real life comes by feeding on every word of God. Pastor Jim paraphrased just simply. He did it so you'd recognize that there is a void in your life. It's a spiritual void, and no amount of food's going to fill it. You've got to look to me to fill it. You, you know the story of Deuteronomy 8, right? You've seen the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, you know, led the children of Israel out into the desert. And there's no Taco Bells out there in the Sinai. And they started getting hungry and whining and complaining. And Moses finally said, well, why did you give me all these people to feed? I can't feed all these people. Just kill me now, Lord. Lord said, i got a better idea. I'll send you 
manna, manna from heaven. And so every morning manna came fresh. He provided that food, and, and it was amazing stuff. For breakfast, they had manna waffles. For lunch, they had manna souffle. For dinner, they had manna cotti. For dessert, banana bread. I mean, it was good stuff, you know. It's good stuff. My point is, God let them get hungry so that they would look to him, so that they would know when the manna came that it came from him, so that they would draw closer to him. Does that make sense? So don't be surprised if God uses a problem in your life to get your attention. You see, you can change when you see the light, hear the truth, but most of us change when we feel the heat. Okay, I got to move. Something's got to happen. And God will allow the heat to crank up if that's what has to happen for us to recognize the only way you fill the spiritual void is if you recognize he is the only shape that fills it up. He made you to be in relationship with you. He made you to be close to you. And he wants you to become like his son Jesus because he knows that the road to the blessed life that he wants for you both now and forever is on the other side of becoming like his son Jesus Christ, which is why he cares more about your character than he does your comfort. God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayer? God, why aren't you fixing this? God knows what's going on. He's not surprised by what's going on in your life. He's working something, and he's, he's working ultimately all of it into a pattern for good if you, anybody know Romans eight twenty eight? If you love him. You commit to become, verse 29, to become more conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, that may Make God sound mean-spirited to you, but he's not. He was ready to feed them. He wanted to feed them. He wanted to bless them, but he realized that they needed to humble themselves before him in order to know that it came from him because it wasn't just physical food that they needed. Who was it that said, sometimes we don't realize God is all we need until God is all we have? So the first step to finding satisfaction is what? You've got to stop and realize what you're actually hungry for. And it is to fill the spiritual void in your life with a relationship with Jesus Christ. The second step in this journey, the second part to our answer of how do you find satisfaction comes, would you've would you got to stop eating junk food. You got, and this is huge, guys. You've got to stop eating junk food. Isaiah 55, 2, why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? You, you ever paid attention to America's fascination with junk food? You, you ever thought about that much? I did some research just out of curiosity, and here's what I discovered. Just a few interesting factoids, you know, insignificant details. The average American consumes every year 17 pounds of candy, 378 cans of soda pop, 42 donuts, 100 scoops of ice cream, and 1,217 cups of coffee. The average American. Some more, some less. That's the average. Now put us all together as a nation, and every year America collectively consumes 25 million Hershey's Kisses. 
We spend $19,265,000 a day at McDonald's as Americans. We consume 235 million Nestle's chocolate chips every day in America. It's all tasty stuff, but most of it has no nutritional value whatsoever, which means, hear me, lean in. It means if your only source of nutrition and nourishment is junk food, you die with a full stomach. Now, don't tune me out. There's a point here that I need you to get in this environment, and that, and that is that, that we've brought that junk food philosophy into our relationship with God. The modern American church has developed an attitude and an appetite for junk food. Anybody agree with me? We have turned preachers into social media celebrities. And instead of spending time in the Word of God and saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? We're searching social media for sound bites that are sound really clever so that we can repost them from our favorite preachers. We want to sing songs that make us feel good. Hmm, I like that song. I felt good when I sang that song. Nothing wrong with feeling good, guys, but worship ain't about us. It's about Him. Now, true to his character, he'll, he receives blessing, multiplies it, sends it back to us. Nothing wrong with feeling good, but it ain't about us. And Christian disciplines, don't get me started, Bible reading and, and prayer and fasting and, and even church commitment is kind of drifting away these days. George Barner researches these things. He says that the average church-going American Regular churchgoer, they classify themselves as regular churchgoers, goes twice a month now. In fact, I've discovered a new disease. I don't know if you've discovered it or not, but, but, uh, but I, th I think it's real. You tell me if it's real. I call it uh, Morticus Sabbaticus. And it goes, some, it goes something like this. Uh, Saturday comes, and we start thinking about Sunday morning, and we go, you know what, I, I think I'm going to go to the early service so I'll have the rest of the day to myself. I kind of want to go to the beach, or I want to go play golf, or I want to watch the game. And, and so I'm going to get up and go to the early service. And so we set the alarm, and we go to bed, and, and the alarm goes off the next morning. We go, oh, I don't, it's too early. I don't feel like getting up. I think I'll snooze the alarm and go to the 11 o'clock service. So we snooze the alarm, and then we wake up, and... Oh, man, I feel worse. I don't feel better, I feel worse. I think I'll just stay home and watch it online today. I can stay in my pajamas and drink coffee, which is fine. I'm glad we have online services. I am. But the amazing part about Morticus Sabbaticus is that about 1215, 1220, you, you're of the 24-hour bug? This is the two-hour bug. About 12.15, we start saying, boy, I think I'm feeling better. Hey, guys, you want to go to the beach? Yeah, let's go to the beach. Okay, let's go to the beach. Before you know it, we've blown it all off. We've moved on in our lives. I need you to understand the problem of not getting proper nutrition. And this is not a diet uh, kind of sermon. This is about being hungry for the spiritual things of life, but I need you to understand the problem of not getting proper nutrition. 
Some of you are old enough to remember the fad that was around a few years ago when political prisoners, in order to raise uh, the world's awareness of their political plight, would go on starvation fasts. Happened a lot in South Africa during apartheid, in Northern Ireland, during the battles between Northern Ireland, the IRA, and all that sort of thing. Happened in several parts of the world, and these people would, would just go on total starvation diets, drinking only water, and, uh, uh, and, and if you've ever been on, on a fast, if you've ever been on even a three-day fast, then you know the first day is hard. The first day, you're kind of hungry. The second day is really hard. You get really, really hungry. But by the third day on a three-day fast, uh, I've done this two or three times in my life, and, and, uh, and the third day you go, you know, I'm not really hungry. I, I think I could keep going. I just, you know, something's happened. We've worked through that initial phase of, of, of not consuming nutrients, and, and we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. The problem is that what's happened is the body, the metabolism of the body has shifted, so now you've, it's consumed all of the sugars, the carbs, and all that stuff that's available, and it started eating the proteins, i.e. muscles and eventually organs. And so people that are on starvation diets in due time, they think they're doing fine until they wake up one day blind because the eyes are the weakest organ and they go first. And if they don't start getting nourishment soon after, they die. What I need you to understand is that that's true spiritually too. Hear me, guys, coming together regularly with the brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, and worshiping God is about honoring God, but it also feeds your spirit. The, the Bible says that God is looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. There's something about true worship that your spirit connects with God's spirit. We saw a lot of it going on in this room while we were singing this morning. There's this sense of being filled up with the presence of God and the Spirit of God. There's something that feeds our spirits. Reading the Word of God, listening to biblical sermons, it's food for the soul. And we need that nourishment. We need that nourishment in our spirit. We need that nourishment in our soul. And if you don't get that nourishment, hear me, guys, if you don't get that nourishment, you will be going along thinking I'm doing fine until one day you wake up blind. And a temptation comes along and grabs you, and you didn't even see it coming. Nor do you have the resources to resist it. And so you find yourself doing things you never dreamed you'd do, paying a price that you never dreamed you'd have to pay. Why? Because you didn't feed your spirit. Because you didn't feed your soul. Because you got careless about Christian disciplines and about corporate worship, and about being in the Word of God, and, and, and biblical word messages that feed you. i got to move on, guys, but, but my point simply is if you want to fill up on the latest movies and music and computers and stuff, go for it. Join the crowd. But if you want the blessing of being satisfied, You've got to get hungry for God. You've got to get hungry for the things of God. You've got to get hungry for the Word of God. You've got to get hungry for worship 
with God's people that honors God. You got to prioritize the fellowship of the saints because it feeds your spirit, it feeds your soul. If you want to find satisfaction, if you want to find the blessed life, ask yourself the question, am I spending more time watching TV or reading the Word of God? And then being honest with yourself, which part of my life am I feeding? You've got to recognize your real hunger if you want to be satisfied. What you're really hungry for is for God to fill that void in your life, and then you've got to stop eating all that spiritual junk food. The third step is you've got to start focusing on Jesus. You've got to focus in on Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the, what does it say? I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Understand why Jesus used that metaphor? Bread is an essential element of life. Prisoners of war live on bread and water. I'm told that they're able to survive on bread and water. In a famine, what's the first thing that they deliver to the, to the people that are in the famine? They drop flour. Why? Because bread is an essential element of life. So Jesus is saying, if you want your life to be sustained, then I'm your answer. He's saying, I'm it. Everything you want is me. Everything you've been longing for is me. You're looking everywhere else for it, but I'm it. So just be honest with yourself this morning. How much time have you spent in your life, whether you're a, a teenager or, or a middle age or a, a senior citizen, it's irrelevant. How much time have you spent in your life looking for it, but you haven't found it yet? I still remember vividly when I was 12 years old, Roy Hawkins, neighbor across the street, got a 26-inch Schwinn red bicycle with high-rise handlebars and tassels. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Some of you are mouth-watering right now. I know, you know, and a banana seat. Oh, buddy. Whew. You could get that thing, grab those high-rise handlebars, slide back on that banana seat, and pop a wheelie, and Roy would ride by my house popping those wheelies every day, and I was so jealous. I said, that's it, buddy. If I could just get one of those, I'll have it. That's, that's it. And so I raked and scraped and worked and, and, and shoveled driveways in the, in the wintertime and mowed grass in the summertime, and I got my money together, and I bought myself a Schwinn, and, man, that was awesome stuff. And I soon realized that wasn't it. Because Roy just went and got a generator and put it on his, and he had a light now with a little generator. It's just, right? Then I got my driver's license, and it was going to be a car. Man, if I can just get a car. This is my first car. And I bought a 1965 Opel Cadet GT. Mm, four on the floor. Four cylinders of power do 65 miles an hour wide open, and I went 65 everywhere I went. I'd turn corners doing 65 because, man, that thing would fly. <laughs> and I had found it, you know. Wind blowing through my crew cut. Get your motor running. Headed on the highway. Man, I'd found it until the motor blew up. and then just, That ain't it. I said, you know, it's just you kind of go through your life thinking, what, what is it? What, what is it? And Jesus said, I'm it. 
You're looking in all the wrong places to fill that void. And if you want to keep looking, have at it. But you're not going to find it. Because I'm it. I'm the bread of life. The world says everything you need is inside you. Just reach down and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But guys, if you're physically hungry, do you say to your stomach, stomach fill thyself? No, you go looking for food. It's what you do. John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to a woman at the well who spent her whole life looking for satisfaction and never found it looking to the wrong place all the time. He says to her in John 4, 13 and 14, people soon become thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Fact is, water is even more essential than food. You can go weeks without food. You can only go days without water. The body's 70% water. Every cell in your body needs water. And so Jesus is not just saying, I'm it. He's saying, you can't survive without me very long. I'm your bread and I'm your water. I've got to close. I want to bring this thing home, but but I want you to understand what I'm trying to say to you guys. Appetites are not satisfied until you do something about them. Physically, if you're sitting here hungry, you're not going to get filled until you go somewhere and get some food and eat it. I say, hang on, we'll be done soon. You can go in a minute, but you hear what I'm saying. Appetites don't satisfy by themselves. You've got to do something. The same is true spiritually. If you're sitting here hungry, Spiritually dissatisfied, Jesus says, congratulations. That's the best place to be because those are the people that ultimately are makarios. Those are the people that are blessed, the ones who are hungry. So, so my closing question to you this morning is, is, how's your appetite? How's your spiritual appetite? Let's go back to our verse. Matthew 5, 6, blessed or those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's that word hunger mean? Let's dig into that one a little bit. It's the Greek word panaho that, that, that can be translated in a wide range of ways. It, it can mean a bite of bread or it can mean a whole loaf of bread. But in this context, the scholars tell me it actually means famished. It actually means I gotta, I gotta eat something. I just, I gotta eat something. There's this drive. This is I gotta have something. It's Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night, and the angel saying, "Let me go," because the dawn is breaking. And it's Jacob saying, "I'm not letting you go till you bless me. I can't." I can't face the dawn without you. I can't face the day without you. I can't face my brother Esau that's coming against me without you. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. That's the word, hungry. God, I need you. Hear me, guys. Forgive me if I'm being blunt this morning, but fact is you're as close to God as you want to be right now. And it all ties back to your hunger. It all ties back to your attitude. And if you're not close to him, it's not God's fault. He didn't go anywhere. Not your parents' fault. They didn't raise you, and it's not your church's fault. A fellow used to come to me sometimes in my former church. He'd come and say, Pastor, I just, I just, I just, I just got to go to another church because you're just not feeding me. 
I, I'm, a, I'm a grown up. I'm, a, I'm an adult Christian, and I need to be fed meat. And I said, you know what? Where I come from, when babies are hungry, they cry till somebody feeds them. Adults go make a sandwich. Hello? So what are you doing to fill that void? How hungry are you for the presence of God? Hear me, guys. We all know in the physical that a loss of appetite indicates illness. Well, I don't know what's going on. I've just lost my appetite. I don't know what's going on with her, but she just doesn't eat anymore. If somebody goes into the hospital and they're very, very sick, what does it mean when they start getting their appetite back? Hey, they're getting better. Hey, man. Yeah, they're starting to eat again. That's a good thing. It means they're getting better. Guys, if you don't have an appetite for God, maybe it's because you've been stuffing yourself with spiritual junk food. Maybe you need a media fast for a while, a Facebook fast for a while. Maybe in your car you need to turn your radio off and spend some time talking to God while you drive. Well, Jim, I hear you, but I... I don't I just don't have an appetite. I just don't how do you, how do you get an appetite for God? Well, um, for me, it comes from hanging around the food. If I when I go to McCall's for lunch, I don't know if you guys like McCall's. I love McCall's. I love it too much. <clears throat> when I go to McCall's, every time I go these days, I I, I always go saying I'm only going to eat one plate. 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 And then again, and I see the ribs, and I see the gizzards, and I see this stuff, and then i got to have some dessert, and then i got to have get the sweet taste out of my mouth. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's just, and before I know it, I've eaten three plates. Why, where did that appetite come from? It came from hanging around good food. So how do you get an appetite for God? You hang around God's people. You spend time in God's Word. You, you worship privately and corporately, and this appetite comes. i got to close. If I've been passionate this morning or too direct, I apologize. But I need to tell you something that's been going on in me for months now, and I've shared it with the staff. been doing this a long time and have learned how to do ministry. I've learned how to lead churches. I've had the privilege of leading a lot, starting a lot, training a lot of pastors. I've, I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities over the years. But it's been rolling in my spirit lately that it's been a long time since I was in the altar till 3 o'clock in the morning just crying out for God. Just, God, I want to know you. I want to know you like Paul said. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. I want to know what it means to have the same power that God used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. I want that power operating in my life. I want to know you, Lord, but not just for the power. I want to know you for the intimacy. I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. I want to hurt where you hurt. I want to grieve where you grieve. I want to feel what you feel. It's been a, it's been a while since I prioritized that kind of hunger with God. And I'm still not sure what form that's going to take in the days ahead. I'm just sharing with you my heart that I want to be hungry again. 
Not just hungry for the things of God and hungry for the harvest to come to Christ and, and for the church to grow and all those things that are really good things, but I want to just be hungry for an intimacy with him. I want to be famished. I want to wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night saying, God, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings, and I'm going to ask you simply to seriously consider, if you call this place home, that you start praying with me for that hunger too. Would you start praying that God would stir something inside of you, that he would begin to, to, to widen and make more apparent that spiritual void in your life, that void that can only be filled by the presence of God himself. Would you join me in that prayer now? Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for knowing every one of us personally, intimately. You know what's going on. You know what's, what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong, all that stuff. You love us no matter how we're doing right now. Because you don't love us based on what we've done or not done, you love us based on who you are. So thank you for that. This hunger is not hoping we get it good enough to finally get into heaven because that's it's not about working your way to heaven. It's about just want to know you. I want to know a God who loves me so much that he gave his one and only son so that anybody in the whole world that would believe in him would not perish, but in fact have eternal life. I want to know that God. I want to live and breathe in the presence of that God. I want to be a little more like that God. I want to be an ambassador of that God to the world around me. So would you make me hungry again? Stir something deep inside of me. Oh, I know. When I do, true to your character, I get to live the blessed life. I get that. But right now, all I want is to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning, would you do me the honor of just write, I prayed on your Connect card. Would you just take your Connect card, write, I prayed. I, nobody's going to come see you. I'm not going to call you. I just want to pray for you. I want to know, frankly, if you're standing with me in this, just write, I prayed. I prayed that prayer. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that in your whole life. Maybe it's the first time you've ever said, you know, I want, I want to know Jesus. I want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's your first time. There's a box you can check. I prayed to accept Christ today. But let me know, okay? Ushers are at the door. The altars are open. Some of you may want to pray before you leave here today. Take advantage of that opportunity. But would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus, that we can that we serve a God who knows us, who loves us, who is open to us, who welcomes us and invites us to come. Thank you for the privilege. Now I pray that each of us would leave with this fresh hunger to know you at a deeper level than we ever have before. And in the process, do you proud. In Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. The altars are open. Some of you need to pray with somebody before you leave. The prayer workers are here. We'd love to pray with you.